This is Perspectives, the show where an examination of our many differences often shows us how much we have in common. I'm Condes Presley, and you know what this month is. This is the month that goes pink, because this is the one time of the year where we as a country really unite around the cause of raising awareness about breast cancer. You know, breast cancer is the second most common cause of cancer among women. In fact, a woman's chance of developing this disease over the course of her lifetime, approximately one in eight. Now, in recent years, survival rates have increased, and that's great news. As a result of better education, part of what we're trying to do here today, improved diagnostics and more advanced therapies. Now, joining me in the studio to talk and raise awareness and provide education is Katie Lang. She is a hereditary cancer program coordinator and a certified genetic counselor at the Northside Hospital Cancer Institute, where extraordinary happens every day. And Katie, thanks for coming in and helping us to educate our audience on this very, very important issue. Thank you for having me. So the first thing I want to know is, I'm going to ask you about the Hereditary Cancer Program, but first, what is a certified genetic counselor? That's a very common question. Um, so genetic counselors are specially trained health providers um, who have master's degrees from accredited genetic counseling training programs. And what we're trained in is basically helping people understand the genetic contribution to conditions. So there's many, many genetic conditions. Some um, have been understood for a long time, like cystic fibrosis or sickle cell anemia or Down syndrome. But then hereditary cancer is one of the fastest growing areas in our field, which is cancers that tend to run in families due to an inherited genetic mutation that can greatly increase people's risk for developing certain types of cancer. So a genetic counselor who works in the field of cancer will meet with patients who either have had cancer themselves or have a very strong family history of cancer. And we go through that history and help them understand whether it looks like the cancer in their family could be hereditary, whether they're interested in pursuing genetic testing, like testing for the BRCA1 and 2 genes, which are the BRCA genes, um, which most people these days have heard of. Mm -hmm. um, and then we actually will help them you know, go through that process. If they do want testing, we can order the testing. We give them their results and tell them then what that means for not only their own personal cancer risk, but how it could impact their children or their brothers and sisters or other family members. So who should consider this testing? That's a great question as well. Um, the good thing is that the vast majority of cancers are not hereditary. So we think right now roughly about 5 to 10% of cancers are are hereditary, which means the vast majority of them are not. Meaning um, they're just kind of totally random? Well, yeah, we use the term sporadic. Um, you know, certainly we know that there are some true environmental factors like smoking or sun exposure that can increase risk for cancers. But for most individual cases of cancer, we don't really know exactly what the cause is, which can be very frustrating for patients because that's something that they often ask as soon as they're diagnosed is, you know, why did this happen? Um, but for breast cancer, we know that about 5 to 10 percent, maybe even a little higher, are due to these inherited mutations. So generally, we say if cancers are diagnosed at younger than average ages, so the average age of a breast cancer diagnosis in the country is about 61 years old for a female. That's the average age? That's the average age. Mm-hmm. 
But we're supposed to start getting our mammograms at 40. Around 40, right, because the the purpose of screening is to try to identify things early. early. Exactly. Um, So, but for hereditary breast cancers, they often happen much sooner than that, like in maybe the 30s or 40s. So anybody with a very, a, a history of early onset breast cancer, either in themselves or their family members, they're the types of people who might come to genetics to discuss the benefits of genetic testing. Um, same thing for even other types of cancers like colon or endometrial or ovarian. Early onset is usually a big red flag for our patients. So when we talk about these genetic markers, family history cancer in the family, it breast cancer, if that's in the family history, obviously that's you're testing early and you may consider the genetic testing. But if there are other cancers in the family, that's also something that raises a red flag with your team? Yes. So really any type of cancer is going to have some proportion of it that's hereditary. So right now, the cancer that is most likely to be hereditary is actually ovarian cancer. Oh. Overall, about current research shows us that one in four ovarian cancers might be due to an inherited genetic mutation versus something like lung cancer, which unfortunately is a very common type of cancer, but is almost never hereditary. So it's not just looking at your family history and kind of counting up how many cancers there are. It's actually looking to see, could these cancers be linked to the same underlying genetic cause? So breast and ovarian cancer are actually often linked to the same genetic cause when they're hereditary. And how far out in the family history or relationships do you look at that to say, yeah, this is something, is it immediate family, first cousins, second cousins? Tell me about that. We usually say three generations if possible. So your generation, going back to your grandparents, um, depending on the age of the person, you know, their children, we would might want to look at that generation. Um, so as much information as people can get is helpful, but it's not unusual for us to not know much past our grandparents and going into second cousins and things like that. But if there's no cancers in that in those close generations or no early onset cancers, then usually we can be pretty reassuring that there doesn't seem to be a high risk running through the family. Tell us, what about uh, a woman who gets her period early as, as a kid or goes through menopause late as, as an adult? What impact does that have on her risk? So we know that, generally speaking, um, estrogen and kind of the quote-unquote exposure of estrogen over time is linked, but that's very, very different than an inherited risk. Those are risk factors that every woman is going to possibly fall into certain categories, and they just seem to be giving us clues about the underlying causes of, of cancer, but they don't influence risk nearly as much as something like a genetic mutation. We're talking about something that takes you know the average risk. You mentioned one in eight, which is about 12%. Genetic mutations can increase that up to 60 or 70%. So it's a huge risk factor compared to some of these, quote unquote, environmental risk factors, which certainly might modify that 12 percent up and down a little bit, but not nearly to the same degree as these inherited risk factors. You know, in the newsroom this morning, we were talking about this and some other things and the age at which women are having kids. Our parents had us in Mm -hmm. their 20s and so many women now are having children later in life. I've read Mm -hmm. that might also increase a woman's risk. Is that true? It's 
possible. It's really, you know, we're, we're mostly learning about the role of kind of estrogen because most breast cancers use estrogen as a fuel to grow. We call them ER positive or estrogen receptor positive. But we also don't want women to worry that, you know, things that are out of their control, perhaps like the age that they have children or get their first period is a dramatic risk factor. Um, We're learning more and more about, you know, this whole idea of personalized medicine, you know, which is um, taking kind of a a person's, you know, underlying biology, their genetics, all of that into account to perhaps tailor um, screening. You know, that's our goal in genetics and otherwise is to help people understand, you know, that 12% number is what we say for everybody. But in reality, some of us have a much lower risk than that. Some of us might, some of us might have a much higher risk than that. So, you know, if it's important for people to talk to their doctors about what personal quote unquote risk factors they might have, be them genetic or otherwise, to see do any of those put them in a category where they might want to start mammograms before 40 or maybe more frequently than every year. So there's lots of different options out there for women at different levels of risk to get their screening. Katie, what role does race and or ethnicity play in increasing or decreasing a woman's risk for breast cancer? That's a great question. So there certainly is evidence that there are certain types of breast cancer that seem to be more prevalent, for example, in African-American populations. Um, it's One of them is called triple negative breast cancer, and that means breast cancers that do not Um, express three of the common factors in breast cancer, which is the estrogen receptors, the progesterone receptors, or something called HER2. Um, So we call that triple negative, meaning all three of those markers aren't there. Um, And we aren't really sure why that is. Um, Some of it could be genetics, because triple negative breast cancer is also more likely to be due to BRCA mutations than other types of breast cancer. Um, But we aren't really sure about what is exactly causing those risk factors. So, again, I would always encourage people to talk to their doctors about, you know, their own history and their own factors to see if they think they would be candidates for any kind of screening that is beyond just what they recommend for everyone. And then I also read something about being of Eastern European Mm -hmm. descent, the Ashkenazi Jews. I think I said that right. Yes, Ashkenazi Jewish individuals, which about 90% of uh, Jewish individuals in America have that ancestry. Um, We know that that population has a much higher chance of being BRCA positive than people of other ancestries. So in the general population, we usually say maybe about one in 400 people are BRCA positive, and that includes men and women. Um, But in the Ashkenazi Jewish population, it's one in 40. So it's much higher. Um, so in our profession, we have a much lower threshold for testing individuals of that ancestry for certain genetic mutations, but that's particularly in the BRCA1 and 2 genes. So anybody with that ancestry with really any breast cancer in their family, ovarian, prostate, pancreatic, they might want to talk to their doctors about seeing a genetic counselor. Walk me through the sequence of events a woman might follow to lead her to the hereditary cancer program, let's say, at Northside and to undergo the genetic testing? Sure. So the first step would always be to talk to their doctor. And if they gathering their, well, actually, really, their first step is really gathering their family history. Okay. Um, Thanksgiving is actually National Family History Day. Um, It's usually a day where people are around their family members. um, And it's not unusual to find out about things that maybe you didn't know about. 
before, you know, without asking. Um, so gathering family history, and that includes, um, I guess, not just for cancer, you know, other things like heart disease or diabetes are important. But in our world, you know, finding out what types of cancers your close relatives might have been diagnosed with, but also really importantly, how old they were when they were diagnosed, because like we were talking about the earlier onset cancers could have happened before some of us were born. So we might not have known that our grandmother went through something like that in her 30s or 40s. Oh, wow. um, and so then bringing that information to your doctor and saying, you know, I'm concerned about my family history and they can refer you to a, a program like ours at Northside. Um, and we would sit down and we actually spend up to an hour and a half just gathering all that information with the patient, putting it all together. We draw out their entire family history. We talk about what gene or genes we think could be contributing to the family history. And really importantly, we also talk about who is the best person to start the testing for. Um, for example, sometimes we meet with young women who come because their mother had breast cancer. Well, if their mother is living, we might actually want to test her first because if she is negative, that means that those genes were not the cause of her breast cancer, and then we really don't need to test the children oh. because there's no such thing as skipping generations. That's kind of a common misconception about these genes. Breast cancer, not like twins, skipping generations. Right. The, yeah. If your mother does not have a mutation in these genes, then that what that really means is she has normal and working BRCA genes. So all she could have passed on to you are normal and working BRCA genes. Now, there's also dad's side which is always important. Um, and another common misconception is that inherited risks for quote unquote female cancers can't be passed on through males. And that is completely untrue. Men can have BRCA mutations, pass them on to their daughters and their sons. And a lot of people we meet with have been told maybe in the past that you only need to worry about your family history on your mom's side. And, that and that's a huge misconception. Huge misconception and a dangerous misconception. Um, we meet tons of people who never realized that, you know, their paternal aunt's early onset breast cancer could have affected them until after they developed cancer. So it's very, very important to look at both sides and gather as much information as you can. And that's another thing that we go through when we meet with people. Um, so then we talk about kind of the pros and cons of genetic testing, um, the a type of information you can get from testing, and then most people then choose to pursue the testing after this long discussion. Um, and then we usually meet with them again in a few weeks and disclose the results to them and tell them what that means. So if it's positive, meaning if we actually did find an inherited risk, of course, that's a long conversation. All that information goes back to their doctors. So everybody's on the same page about what the testing means. Um, but if it's negative, which really most people are, because going back to what we said at the beginning, most cancers aren't hereditary. Um, so if it's negative, it's also really important to talk about what that means, because we don't want people getting kind of false reassurance that, oh, I'm negative, so I can ignore my family history, because many women might still have a significant family history and might still qualify for things like breast MRIs or more frequent breast screening, even if their genetic testing is negative. So that's something that we spend a lot of time going over with our negative patients, which is, okay, this didn't find anything, but what other risk factors are there in your family? And do you qualify for extra screening? Because we really want people's screening to be tailored to what their risk is. Are the screenings covered by a patient's insurance policy? 
Yes, they, they really should be. So if a woman goes through the genetic counseling process and has a thorough risk assessment, um, there are these statistical models that very smart people have developed where we can actually plug in people's family history and it actually spits out a number. And if that number is over 20% lifetime risk, their insurance should be covering breast MRIs for them. What is the risk that a patient or a potential patient faces of losing their health care coverage in the event that they go through the testing and then perhaps are identified, as you just said, for additional testing? It's, you know, the old thing about that folks talk about, you get in a wreck, your car insurance goes up. You call about your house and your homeowner's policy goes up. That's an excellent question and a common concern that, that people have when they come to see us. So the good news is there's several layers of legal protection against genetic discrimination um, in healthcare. So one of them um, is the Affordable Care Act. Um, but prior to that, actually in 2008, there was a law passed called GINA that is far less well known. Um, it's the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act that says your employer can't fire you. And it also says that your health insurance cannot set your rates or drop you based on genetic information or family history. So there's actually pretty good protections out there. Um, and to be honest, one thing that we see more and more is that we have enough research now. We've been doing genetic testing for two decades to show that it's preventative. You know, we can prevent cancers and preventative care. You know, there's a big push in the insurance industry towards preventative care, thankfully. So insurance companies are actually more willing to both cover it and cover the you know, the, any recommendations that stem from genetic testing um, more often because they see that it prevents cancer, which is the whole goal of all of this. Um, but one loophole, unfortunately, in the, always, um, in the discrimination um, laws is life insurance and long-term disability care. So right now, there is technically no legal protection against those companies using this type of information um, to set rates or deny a patient. We hope that will change in the future. Um, it was really when the laws were written, they just didn't, they were so focused on health insurance, they didn't think to expand it. So it's not that we see it happening a lot. We could in the future, but for now, there's just technically no legal recourse if that happens to a patient, unfortunately. So that's well, a, that's the yeah, and especially for younger patients, you know, that's something to consider before having testing. We're talking to Katie Lang. She is a hereditary cancer program coordinator and a certified genetic counselor at the Northside Hospital Cancer Institute. Um, tell us a little bit about that hereditary cancer program and how do people find their way to someone like you? Sure. Um, so people can call us directly. Um, you can go to northside.com slash hereditary cancer or our email address is genetics at northside.com. Pretty easy. Um, and people can call us directly. We do need a physician referral before we can see a patient, but we can still, you know, discuss our program with them, discuss reasons for coming in. We're very used to answering lots and lots of patients' questions before they even make an appointment because this is sort of a unique type of healthcare service that a lot of people haven't pursued before. They're used to going to their doctors, but they're not so used to thinking about genetic testing. So we're happy to answer anybody's questions and set them up with an appointment, but we always will eventually need a physician referral before we can before we can see them. And once you are seeing a patient, they go through the genetic testing, they discover that they have the mutation. What does that mean for them and what does it mean for her children? 
So it depends on which gene we're talking about. So BRCA or, or BRCA1 and BRCA2 are the genes we do discuss and test for most often. Um, and if a woman carries a mutation in one of those BRCA genes, um, her risk for breast cancer could be up to 60 or 70% in her lifetime. Um, her risk for ovarian cancer could be up to 40%. There are um, also potentially risks for things like pancreatic cancer, although they're much, much lower. We think maybe just a couple of percent, three to six perhaps, and this seems to be more prevalent with BRCA2 families. Um, and there's newer information perhaps linking even melanoma to BRCA, particularly too, um, but that's kind of an emerging thing that we haven't totally sorted out yet. But men can also have a higher risk for prostate cancer and specifically a more aggressive form of prostate cancer. So it's also important for men to consider testing for themselves for their own cancer risks, not only just for their family members. Um, but any parent who carries a BRCA mutation has a 50-50 chance of passing that mutation on to their children. Um, we don't test young children for these mutations. Um, once a person turns 18, you know, they know that they are what we call an at-risk carrier, meaning they know one of their parents are positive. They can consider having testing. Um, but typically, screening doesn't change for a young woman, for example, until she's 25. So the testing age you know, can vary by family and by individual, um, but we don't ever recommend testing minors just because, thankfully, there aren't any risks for them when they're children. Most BRCA carriers were once a 10-year-old girl, and they were completely fine. So we don't really worry about um, childhood cancers with these genes, thankfully. What is the option? I know I've had friends, and then I think we all remember uh, Angelina Jolie's remarkable story of mm -hmm. discovering that she carried the gene and and privately went in and had a, a double mastectomy. Is that the only option a woman may pursue, or are there other things she might consider? It's not the only option. Um, right now, it seems to be the one that most women do end up pursuing. But the alternative to the risk-reducing mastectomy is increased screening. So women would receive breast screening every six months. So they would receive a mammogram, and then six months later, they would get a breast MRI, and then six months after that, a mammogram, and MRI alternating really forever, as long as she's getting breast screening. So it's a lot of screening, and it's a lot of intensive screening because that risk is so high. But we do have, as you said at the very beginning, much better diagnostics these days. Um, but the other really important thing that I think goes less noticed um, is the removal of the ovaries um, when a woman is BRCA positive. Because even though the numeric risk for breast cancer is higher than the ovarian cancer risk, we don't have any good screening options for ovarian cancer. Mm -hmm. um, it's a common misconception that when women go to, for their annual GYN visit that they're really getting some kind of screening for ovarian cancer, but none of us really are because we just haven't developed one yet. Um, so because of that, the only good way to prevent ovarian cancer is to remove the ovaries when a woman is done having her children. Um, but that can actually also reduce her breast cancer risk if she's BRCA positive. Because, like we were talking about earlier, so many breast cancers use estrogen to grow. So by kind of artificially depriving the body of the main source of estrogen, you can influence that risk. Of course, it also puts women into premature menopause, which can have other side effects. So yeah. these are big decisions, which is sort of another reason why we spend so much time 
with our patients because it's not easy, even if they even if they know that it might be what the choice that they're going to make if they're positive, it doesn't mean that it's something that's easy to go through as an experience as a woman. Yeah, I'm just sitting here and you've given us so much to process. So one of the things that we definitely wanted to do today while we had you here, uh, raise awareness, provide some education. Let's rapid fire here at the end and go through some of the basic signs and symptoms. I know a woman should perform her own breast self-exam, what, once a month? Well, the new, the new term, they're calling it breast self-awareness. Okay. Um, yeah, I know. There's always these tweaks, right? Um, and really to just understand what your breast tissue feels like, So mo- mostly so you don't worry yourself. Um, so to understand what your breast feels like, and the best, there are certain times to do it. Um, so everybody should really go to their doctor and have their doctor walk through a proper exam so they can know what feels normal to them and the frequency. And sometimes they want you to do it um, certain times around your period. So everybody should really talk to their doctor about the best way to perform those. But things that you're looking for once you've been instructed by your doctor would include uh a painless lump or mass in the breast or in the underarm, right? Yes. Uh, change in size or the way it feels, firmness. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, changes in the skin. It can be, yes. There's certain types of breast cancer that are kind of in the in the skin area. Yes. And uh, whether or not you've got nipple itching, burning, turning inward, uh, discharges, things that might not be related to breastfeeding uh, for a woman in her childbearing years. Right. So, again, you guys are doing great work. If people want more information about you or the Hereditary Cancer Program at the Northside Hospital Cancer Institute, how do we find you? Yes. So we're on the Internet at uh, www.northside.com slash hereditary cancer. Or people can just contact us directly at genetics at northside.com or they can call us at 404-851-6284. Katie Lang, Hereditary Cancer Program Coordinator and Certified Genetic Counselor. Thank you for your time. Thank you for having me. Perspectives is a half hour we produce with you in mind. If there's something you think we ought to be talking about, let me hear from you. Tweet me, condo 29 on Twitter, or leave a message on our Facebook page. We do appreciate your listening and hope you'll be back next week at this same time as we examine another perspective. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.